Welcome to the Dick Schroeder Podcast. Dick draws his teaching from a deep well of love for the Bible and 50 years of strategic ministry among university students. Enjoy this episode and remember, your Father in Heaven loves you. We're looking at the challenge of hearing the voice of God. Remember the first day we talked about the fact that we're all on a spiritual journey. See, we're all on a pilgrimage, and, and, and all of you are, are really at the, at the prime of your life, and you've, you've got the best years of your life ahead of you. And you've got a lot of years to learn and hone down the, the ability to hear God's voice. And I want you to remember that I've been walking with the Lord 16 years. And, 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 and as I'm sharing stories and examples, these things all didn't happen in the first week of my Christian experience. But they've been spread out over now 16 years of, of seeking the Lord. I mentioned that I was, I've been at 14 salts. And so I've had, I've had 14 wonderful experiences like we are having this week for God to get out His hammer and work on my life and change and correct. And as long as, as we... We remain responsive, see, to what God wants to do. He'll continue to bring us down that, that, that spiritual path of maturity into God. And so we, we, need, to, we need to be accepting of where we are right now. And, and I know for some of you, hearing God's voice is a long ways away. You, you're kind of going, wow, I don't hear any voices, and I'm not sure that I'm even being led by the Spirit. And if that's where you're at, that's okay, because God's going to take you from where you're at and he'll begin to teach you more and more clearly how to hear the voice of God. He'll do that because he wants us all to, to walk in the knowledge of his will. He wants us to be led by the Holy Spirit. And he'll do that in a way that's consistent with your personality. He's not going to make, make you someone that you're not. But in ways that you'll understand, you, you can be led by the Spirit. And that's a tremendous joy and a privilege that all of us can grow into. But it's a process and a journey. And remember that. Don't, don't get discouraged because well, I don't know, none of these things are happening in my life yet. That's okay. If you will be faithful to God and obedient to Him, He will bring you step by step along the way. The second thing I want to remind you is that when we're talking about hearing impressions and directions from the Holy Spirit, I do not do everything in my life by a voice. In fact, it probably it's the exception to hear a specific direction from the Holy Spirit as opposed to just doing what the Word tells me to do, doing what common sense says to do. I mean, I don't hear a voice for everything. In fact, it's probably the exception. But when I need, and when the Lord knows that I need for that to happen, He will speak to me. And that's what I'm after. So I'm not trying to get us into some kind of weird charismaniac. You, you know what a charismaniac is. Someone that, God told me this, God told me that. And it, sometimes it's a little just superheated imagination. But God does want us to hear his voice, and it will happen at the times when we need it, and, and I think more specifically, the times when we're, we're listening. That's what we need to do. We need to listen to what the Lord is saying to us. As I've, I've spoken with uh, several of you, and as you've given me feedback from the class, I, I've just heard a few of you saying, you know, I was praying in the meeting the other night, and, and I just felt the Lord impressed me to go pray for someone. See, that's being led by the Spirit. And just having that openness... And the faith to believe that God will speak to us. That's part of, part of the, why I looked very carefully the first day. The fact that it is biblical for us to hear God's voice. It is biblical that the Father wants to guide and direct us. 
He's not just turned us loose and said, go get them, you know, and you're on your own. The Lord says, no, this is my work. And I'm going to be doing the work and you can get in on it as you work with me. So that ought, that ought to encourage us and, 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 and help, us, help us to be faithful over the long haul. And, you know, as, if you're, as you're obedient to the Lord this next year and if you come back to salt next year, you're going to be able to hear God's voice even more clearly than you do today. And if, if, we, call, if we could have a reunion in a year, you'd all come back and, and we all could stand up and say, you know, let me share you this experience that happened to me where the Lord led me. And we'd all rejoice together because we will all have grown. And, 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 and see, over the years, we ought to be, become more and more effective as, as we're more sensitive to the voice of the Lord. And then two days ago, we looked at the role of tongues. Remember, tongues is given to us for a couple of reasons. One, it's to build ourselves up. It's to edify our spirit. We speak mysteries when we pray in the spirit. And we speak things that we don't understand with our minds, but the Holy Spirit knows and the Holy Spirit can make intercession for us. And we also looked at Paul's life where Paul says, I speak in tongues more than y'all. That means that Paul used the gift tremendously. And we need to be careful that we don't fall into the trap of having the gift and not using it. If you've, if you've been given the gift, then use it. Use it daily. Use it in a disciplined kind of way. You know, sometimes we, we can have a misconception, and, and I'm supposed to feel something when I speak in tongues. And that's probably not the case. You know, I pray in the Spirit. I don't feel anything different. I'm just, just like I'm talking in English, except I'm praying in, in another language to God. And it, it, the baptism of the Holy Spirit and, and walking in the things of the Spirit isn't really tied to our feelings. Now, certain people may feel certain things. That's okay if, if the Lord moves on you that way. But I need to have the discipline to use my prayer language, whether I feel anything or not, because the Scripture tells us that we're to do that, and Paul's example tells us that we're to do that. And then I, I use this example of Paul says, I'd rather speak 10,000 words in an unknown language so that I may speak five words in the church. And see, when I've, when I've spent the time in my prayer closet speaking the 10,000 words, then when I speak the five words in the church or to someone on the street or to someone that I'm counseling, those five words are going to have impact because they're going to be words that will impact people's lives. And I think there's a direct correlation there. Paul says, I speak in tongues more than y'all. And then when I come and share a message, boom, things happen and people are impacted. So use the gift that God has given to you. We um, had several people that um, desired prayer after our last session and, and, and the Lord ministered to several people here in a powerful way. And I, I want to make the same opportunity available again today during our free time. If, if you have questions that you don't understand and things you just would like to talk about, I'm going to be here for, uh, for at least for, for an hour after our session. I'd be glad to talk with you. And if you'd like to be prayed for, you know, if you haven't um, entered in to this dimension of speaking in tongues and would like to, then we, I invite you. This is the time to receive because the Lord wants you to have it. Now, today I want to continue, and I want to talk about some practical things, practical principles about hearing God's voice. And I'm going to give you six things here, six principles that will help us to, um, to kind of boil this now down to a practical level, and what do we do on a day-by-day -day basis. The first practical thing that, that we need to understand is that I need to honestly attempt to obey and walk in the truth that the Lord has given me. 
So I need to have an honest attempt to obey. You might circle that word, obey. It does me no good to hear truth and not act upon it, does it? Jesus said the person that does that is like the, the person that builds their house on the sand. But the person that hears and obeys the word of God builds on the rock. And I need to be obeying the things that the Lord is teaching me. 1 John 1.7 tells us that if we walk in the light as he is in the light, speaking of Jesus, then we have fellowship, koinonia, intimacy with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all unrighteousness. So he covers our failures. But the condition is that I must walk in the light. And I, I believe we can interpret walking in the light to mean obedience and honesty. And I must walk in obedience if I'm going to hear the voice of God. We could spend really a lot of time on this, and I, I, we just in the scope of this class, we don't have more time to spend on this issue of obedience. But if if you are not obeying currently the things the Lord has told you to do, you open yourself up for deception. And just as God can speak to us, so can Satan put impressions and things in our minds. And when there's when we're holding unrighteousness. I am vulnerable to all kinds of crazy directions that Satan would put into my life. And what I mean by that is holding direct disobedience. See, knowing that I'm doing something that I know is wrong, and I'm just saying, I'm going to do it anyway. And when I start living a life one way publicly, and then privately living another way in a deliberate way, then then I'm walking in darkness, and I'm opening myself up for all kinds of problems. That's... You know, uh, what happened really with, uh, with Jim Baker. You know, living one way publicly, pretending that he was righteous, but that when the truth came out, he was covering up something that he had done in, in terms of unrighteousness. And see, that's a dangerous thing to do. So I must be committed to walking in the light. That means that if the Lord has convicted me about a sin, that I need to be working on that. I may not have overcome it yet, but I'm aligning myself with truth, and I'm saying, oh, Lord, help me with this area so that I may get mastery over it. Say, help me, Lord. I'm not going to justify myself in my sin, but I'm going to seek to do what you want me to do. One of the, I think one of the greatest ways of learning to hear God's voice is to listen for conviction. You ever get convicted about things? <laughs> See, uh, hardly a day goes by that I don't get convicted about something, something I've said or, you know, uh, an attitude or something. And that's the voice of the Lord speaking to you. And see, I need to respond to that instead of just ignoring it and saying, oh, I don't want to hear that. But I need to say, okay, Lord, I hear what you're saying. And then make the necessary heart response. And that way, you stay in the light. And we're, we're much, well, we just need to stay in the light if we're going to walk in truth. Another verse from John is John 7.17. And Jesus says this. He says, If any man is willing to do his will, he shall know of the teaching, whether it is of God or whether I speak from myself. So Jesus says here, If you're willing to do the will of God, then out of obedience, then the Lord will confirm to you that you've been walking in his will. And you'll know that the teaching, that the leading that you have is indeed from God. The more you obey, the more you're going to hear from God. See, the more you are implicit in your obedience to the promptings, the conviction of the Holy Spirit, 
obeying what, what you're hearing from the Word as you're daily studying the Word of God, then you're in a place of walking in the light, and then God's going to be able to speak to you even more clearly. Let me give you just a couple of examples out of, out of my own life. Um, I described to you the first day how when I became a Christian, it was a night and day conversion. I met Jesus in April of 1973 at a Barry Maguire concert at about 7 o'clock at night. And man, I can pinpoint the moment when Jesus made himself real to me. And soon after that, I was aware of a presence in my life. And it was the presence of the Lord. You know, I didn't quite know what it was, but I knew there was someone there. And I started feeling conviction about certain things in my life that I was doing wrong. I mean, I just sensed, well, I just can't do this anymore. My language, the things I, you know, the bad words I spoke out of my mouth, all of a sudden I, I stopped doing that because I, I felt bad. You know, my, my conscience was bothering me when I would say things that were, you know, in the nature of swearing and stuff. And see, God was working on the inside. And as, as the Lord would, would speak to me, and I was, as I uh, was aware of an area that wasn't pleasing to him, I obeyed, I just in simple obedience. And um, I was reading this book called Like a Mighty Wind by a man named Mel Tari, which was about a revival in Indonesia in the early 70s. And in this book, they were talking about getting delivered from things of the occult. And in this book, he listed where all the uh, disciplines of the occult, like astrology, Ouija boards, yoga, and all of these things are not from God, but they're from the evil one. And he quoted the scripture from Deuteronomy 18, how the Lord said, these things should have no place in your life. Well, I read that thing in that book, and I, I thought to myself, man, I've got a couple of occult books sitting on my bookshelf. And I did. And, I, and, I, and man, I went and read the Bible in Deuteronomy 18, and I realized, man, I'm in error here. And so I said, Lord, I'm sorry. I didn't even know this stuff was wrong. But I repented of it, and then I threw the books away. I got rid of them. I cleaned my life up. And see, that, that pattern of obedience is, is such an important pattern to develop in our lives. So you must obey the Lord when he, when he speaks to you. When the Lord started speaking to me about my sexuality, and I didn't become a Christian until I was 22 years old, and I say this to my shame that I didn't manage my life sexually before I was a Christian in a way that glorified the Lord, and I had a number of things that I had to deal with, and I had to go through some restitution, a lot of repentance, and, and a lot of tears and pain as I saw that I had not walked the way the Lord had wanted me to, but I dealt with it, and I made new commitments to the Lord. I said, Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm just not going to sin sexually. It hurts other people. It hurts me. It hurts you. And I said, Lord, I just, I just want to manage my sexuality the way you would want me to. And after that time of intense dealings and an intense time of cleansing and repentance, I, I, I made commitments to the Lord, and from that point and until about five years later to when I got married, I, I maintained my sexual purity before the Lord. Not without some struggles, and we all struggle with that, but I, but I said, Lord, I'm going to just do it your way. You know, I'm going to do it the way you want me to. And by God's grace, I was, I was able to do that. But see, there was responsive obedience. And I wanted to do what Jesus wanted me to do. So important that you have that attitude of obedience. Another, in the area of forgiveness, I learned really young, as a young Christian the importance of forgiveness, that we are to forgive everyone who has hurt us. And uh, I heard some teaching on that, and I, I responded to that. I went through my life and evaluated and remembered instances of people that had hurt me, and I forgave them, and I got that stuff out of my life. 
And then since that time, I've had many instances where I've had to forgive because of things that have happened. But I've, I've learned the discipline of forgiving. And so I, I've, I've learned not to harbor resentment and bitterness and, and taking up offenses. There's certainly been some opportunities to do so, but I've learned the secrecy of not doing that because Jesus says, unless you forgive others, you yourself will not be forgiven. And because of that obediency, then there's been maturity and, and then God is able to use our lives more effectively. You need to have that, that attitude of obedience. I, I can hardly stress that um, strongly enough. So after we've obeyed and we're walking in a place, see, walking in the light is a place where I'm just walking in obedience every day to Jesus. And as the Lord gives me new truth, then I, I respond to that. And he, remember, he's really gracious and merciful. I, 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 uh, there's been some sins that have taken me a long time to overcome. And I'm still working on some, you know, things like attitudes and deep stuff within. And as long as I align myself with truth, the Lord's happy. That's what he, that's all he's wanting me to do is just align myself with truth. And I do that by saying, boy, Lord, that was wrong. Will you forgive me? And if, and if restitution is required, like if I need to go and make an apology to someone, then I go and do that. I go and humble myself because I want to walk in righteousness before the Lord. Second thing we need to remember, remember on hearing God's voice is that I need to be willing to take a risk. I need to be willing to take a risk. I mentioned to you that, um, that John Wimber spells faith R-I-S-K. If you're going to have faith, that means you're going to be taking a risk. And, and God is going to ask us to take risks. In Romans 4.12, the scripture describes Abraham and he went out from God by faith as the Lord spoke to him. And the Lord said to him, go out and you just leave. And when you get out there, I'll tell you where to go. Now that's going by faith, isn't it? But he left town and he, he, he did the next thing the Lord told him to do. And then when he got out into the desert, the Lord gave him more clarity. And, and, and he walked that way for 25 years until his, his son Isaac was born in a miraculous way. And that's what, that's what, what, what uh, having faith means. I need to be willing to take a risk. See, God's going, to, God's going to threaten your comfort zone when you walk in faith. Because it, you're always going to be on that, that place of being uncomfortable. And there's always that possibility that, boy, if God's not in this, I'm going to look pretty foolish. Remember I told you the story of John Wimber, how he saw in the spirit adultery on that guy's head. And then he gave him, then the Lord gave him a name. So you'd look pretty foolish, you know, if you say uh, to someone, uh, does Mary mean anything to you? And the guy goes, No. You just kind of go, oh, well, maybe I missed that one. <laughs> See, you need, you need to be willing to, to say, well, I made a mistake, you know. And, and that's just part of, part of the game. But, but I like Peter. When uh, Jesus called, you know, Peter, Jesus was walking on the water, and Peter said, Lord, let me walk too, you know. And Jesus says, come on, Peter. So Peter gets out of the boat and walks for a little ways on the water until he, he starts looking around and think, man, I shouldn't be walking on the water. And he started sinking. And then he said, help, Lord. And the Lord, you know, saved him and got him back in the boat. The other disciples were going, oh, look at Peter, you know. But, you know, Peter's the only man that's ever walked on water besides Jesus that I know of. And he only walked a few steps, but he did so because the Lord said, come, Peter. And Peter had the courage to get out of the boat. So he took the risk, even though he looked kind of foolish, at least he took a few steps on the water before he started to fall. Are you ready to, are you ready to take risks for God? And that's, see, friends, that's where the adventure comes. 
That's where the Lord teaches us so much of who he is as we're willing to take those steps of obedience as he, as he impresses us with things to do. Now, what I suggest you do is that as we're learning to hear God's voice, that you begin in the little things. Don't begin, if you're just starting out saying, okay, now, Lord, you speak to me which country you want me to go to. That is a major life decision, and, and you need to do a, a whole lot of other uh, confirmations and seeking the Lord before you'd make a decision of that magnitude. So when, you, when you're starting to hear God's voice, start with the little things. For example, we're going to take a, an offering tonight for Howard Kenyon and his missionary work as he goes to Taiwan. Why don't you practice by saying, Lord, how much do you want me to give in the offering? And then just waiting before the Lord. And maybe the Lord will impress you with a figure. And maybe the Lord won't. And if the Lord doesn't, then you just give what your heart was purposing to give. But see, at least give God the opportunity to speak. Now, every time I ask God a question, I don't always get an answer. But I'm saying, Lord, you know, um, what do you want me to do here? And if I don't hear anything specific, then I just make the best decision that I know to make. But I give God time, and I give him at least an ear that if he wants to direct me, that, um, that I'll be open to that. My wife and I, in 1980, we, we sensed the Lord was, was directing us to go to Russia during the Olympic time, because there was a lot of uh, privilege of travel during that Olympic year. And I've, I've prayed for Russia. It's been one of the countries that I've uh, had a burden for for a number of years. So it's just part of you know, God's kind of unfolding plan in that. And we wanted to take a, um, you know, go on a tour, but we were, we were really seeking to be there as undercover missionaries. So we, didn't, we did not have the money to go as, uh, at that time, about $2,000 for us to go on this tour. And so we began to seek the Lord and saying, oh, Lord, we, 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 the Lord had confirmed to us that we were to go in several different ways. So we were assured that this was a direction for us. So we were just seeking the Lord for provision and saying, OK, Lord, now, you know, we need two thousand dollars. And if you want us to go, we believe that you'll provide that for us. And so at, at, when my wife and I got married, we had two cars. We each had one. And, and when, when we got married, we, we, we just kept both cars. And right during this time. We, we were, uh, my car was parked out in front of our house, and we lived on a, a real busy street in Bozeman. And I came out one morning, and someone had hit the back of, of, uh, of our car and put a big crease in it. And uh, just a few minutes later, this, this young man came and said, you know, I, I was drinking, and I had an accident, and I hit your car. And so what, what ended up happening is we collected $1,200 insurance from, from the damages. And they totaled the car and we, we could still drive it. So, I, so we picked up $1,200 and we thought, ha-ha, this is our provision to go to Russia. And as we were praying about it, the Lord began to speak to us that we were to give that money away. Ooh, Lord, you know. <laughs> you know, it was a tremendous faith builder that this money had come in totally unexpectedly. And then both my wife and I, we sensed the Lord was saying that we were to give it away. And so, as, you know, we, as Joy and I, we prayed about it, and we just, we just knew that this is what the Lord wanted us to do. So we did. We gave it away, and the Lord showed us who to give it to. And so we're back at zero again, and time was ticking on when we needed the money to go. So within a month, the same thing happened again. Our car was out in front, and another drunk driver came, whomped the car, and really destroyed the car this time. We collected another $1,200, and the Lord said, now this is your provision to go to Russia. And the Lord, through other means, provided the other $800, and we went to, we went to Russia and had, a, had a, an interesting trip of evangelism. Now what's the lesson? 
the lesson is that God loves us enough to guide us. And are we willing to take the risk of obedience? See, it was hard to give that money away the first time. That was, that was tough to give, to give $1,200 away. And we knew that we needed it for a project. But God was wanting to teach us to be dependent on Him and not trust in our own imaginations, not to trust in, in the fact that we had $1,200, but the Lord was saying, Dick, trust me. Trust me and I'll take care of you. And so as we ascertained, we were very careful to make sure that we weren't just operating on a whim. And you need to do that. Make sure it's the will of God. We did that. We obeyed. And then God come, came through in a, in a tremendous way. Now, I've never, we, we have not had that happen ever since. That was eight years ago. So I've never, I've never seen that money come in in a particular way and haven't had any more people running into my car out in the street. But you know, it's just, it was just something, a timing that God was wanting to do. So in the little things, that's where you practice. Maybe in the offering tonight, you'll just want to sit there and say, now, Lord, how much do you want me to give? Now, when you ask that question, what do you have to be willing to do? You've got to be willing to give that last $5 you have in your pocket, don't you? And I've heard story after story of people that have been in meetings that have had gas money to get home. And the Lord has impressed them, put this in the offering. And they go, oh, Lord, how am I going to get home? You know? And the Lord says, trust me. And they obey. And then the Lord provides this person money or gas from some other unexpected means. And, and the glory is not that we, you got gas money, but the glory is that I'm learning to hear God's voice. And see, the, the, the lesson that we gain is that I learn a confidence in hearing his voice so that next time when the Lord speaks, I'll have a little more confidence to step out and say, okay, Lord, I, I believe that's you. And as you have a series of obedient steps, then the Lord can speak to you and you'll, you'll just automatically obey it because you'll, you'll know that that's the voice of the Lord to you. And it's like God, it's like God starts us in a, in a certain realm of obedience Maybe it's in the area of giving, learning how much to give. And there'll come a point where you just, the Lord says, give $25. You just give it. It's no big deal at all because you have faith for that. And then the Lord expands that faith. And then you'll take on a little, you know, a little larger area of ministry. And it just keeps growing and growing to where, you know, you may be trusting the Lord for, for whole ministries. You know, my, um, we, we have a, a, a staff that works together and we have a, a large budget and, and the Lord's been faithful to provide, you know, uh, several thousand dollars a month for our ministry. And, and I don't worry about finances. I obey the Lord, and the Lord has taken care of us. See, the Lord has, has built my faith, so now we're just not able to believe God for our own needs, but we're, we're able to believe God for the needs of others in our ministry and, and missionary people that we're supporting. See, God's expanded our faith. And so I've, I've got a bigger load to carry, but my faith has been built up to that point. See, God wants to do that. How about you're in a meeting, like the beautiful times of worship we've been having in the evening. Instead of just, you know, just sitting there, and it's good just to sit there and enjoy the presence of the Lord, but we need to be asking the Lord, do you, do you have something for me to do tonight? Is there someone that you want me to go pray for? And then as an impression comes, test it and then obey it. If it's the Lord, go do that. See, maybe you're sitting in the meeting and the Lord starts talking to you about, I want you to stand up and give a prophecy. I've got a word I want to give through you. And then what happens? Your heart starts pounding and you start thinking, what if I'm wrong? Oh no, what's everybody going to think of me? See, we all go through that. That's part of the battle of faith. But that's how you learn. That's how you learn. And uh, see, learn in these little things where if, if, if you miss it, it's no big deal. You know, you're amongst people that love you. You're with the body. 
And even if you do get up and give a word that was out of order, it's okay, you know. It's okay. You can learn from the mistake. And maybe when you're praying for someone, just a moment, when you're praying for someone, you know, someone says, would you pray for me about this problem? And you say, sure, I'd, I'd love to. And as you pray, you just stop and say, now, Lord, is there anything that you want me to pray for this person? And you wait. And maybe the Lord will give you a prayer. Maybe the Lord will give you a scripture. Maybe the Lord will give you insight into their problem. That doesn't happen every time. And maybe when you're praying for someone, just a moment, when you're praying for someone, you know, someone says, would you pray for me about this problem? And you say, sure, I'd, I'd love to. And as you pray, you just stop and say, now, Lord, is there anything that you want me to pray for this person? And you wait. And maybe the Lord will give you a prayer. Maybe the Lord will give you a scripture. Maybe the Lord will give you insight into their problem. That doesn't happen every time. But I always ask the Lord in case he wants to give me something for that other person. And you'll be surprised what happens. You'd be surprised what happens as you begin to hear from God and people go, how'd you know that? It's because God told them, God told you, and he loves them enough because he wants to, he wants to show them that God loves them enough that he told somebody else what's going on in their life as a sign that God is real. So he's really, and he, and he really loves. Did you want to share something? Yeah. Okay, well, let's do that. Let's look at that. Learning comes by experience and obedience. That's how you learn to know the voice of God. And if you're not willing to obey those times when the Lord is directing you, you'll, you'll never really learn. You have to step out in obedience. The third principle is that we need to be aware of Satan's impressions. In 1 John 4, 1, John tells us that we are to test the spirits because not all spirits are from God. So it's important that we realize that, yes, Satan can speak to us. And Satan can put impressions in our mind just like the Holy Spirit can. How do we test them? I believe we follow the admonition from James 4, 6, and 7. James 4, 6, and 7 says, But he gives a greater grace. Therefore, it says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Who is God opposed to? The proud, the arrogant, the people that think they can do it themselves. But he gives grace to those who are humble and open before God. We talked a little bit about that the first day. And then verse 7. Submit therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Now, how do we submit to God? How do we submit our lives to God? And how do we walk in submission to Him? Yes, obedience, exactly. See, I prove my submission to the Lordship of Jesus by obeying everything He's told me to do. See, that goes back to this thing of obedience. So important that you're not walking in, in not, not that you're not walking in deliberate disobedience. And deliberate disobedience is that. You know the Lord has said do this, and you're saying, no, I'm not going to do that. It's not just a thing of ignorance, but it's a deliberate, I will not do that. Yes, I know I should forgive, but I'm just not going to do it. You're on dangerous ground, friends, when you do that. And you're walking in pride. And, and you're much more vulnerable to the suggestions of the enemy when you walk that way. So I submit to God by my obedience. And that's why I have to see, be walking in obedience, obeying everything that I know to do at this moment. Then I'm submitted to God, 
And then I need to resist the devil. That means to say no, to thwart, to rebuke. I need to say, stay away from me, Satan. I resist your suggestions. I resist you in the name of Jesus. And see, Satan speaks out of his unholy character. Satan speaks out of his unrighteous, devious, dark character. Some of, the, some of the keynotes and the things that I've learned about hearing the voice of Satan are, are these. The enemy's voice is one that is loud and urgent. When Satan's impressions come, it's loud and it's urgent. You better do this. Go, go, go. Come on, go on, go on, go on, go on. I mean, it's a pushing kind of voice. It's a driving kind of voice. And it, it, it says, you better do this now, now, now. Go, go, go. And if you start hearing impressions like that, you, you, need, to, you need to stand against those because those are not from God. Anything that agitates or wants, to, wants you to rush into something. You know, you ever felt pressured? Like you're just feeling like you're being pushed along? That's the enemy. That's one of the keynotes of his voice. And, that, and you, if you, as you recognize that, you need to resist that. One of the things that Satan wants to do is always he wants to precipitate crisis. He wants to precipitate crisis. And he'll do that by get, you know, just getting people to say things that they, they really don't mean or things that are said out of wisdom. And all kinds of trouble comes from that. Remember Peter says, Lord, you shouldn't go up there and be crucified. And Satan was speaking right, right through Peter. You know, it's amazing. Because his, his, he was not setting his mind on, on God's interest, but on, on man's interest. So what, when I test something, when I get an impression, I test it and I say, now, Lord, I'm submitted to you. And I, a, a prayer that I pray, and, and, and this is especially true if I'm unsure of the voice. There's some areas that I'm really confident that I'm hearing the voice of God. But until you gain that confidence, then you just need to say, now, Lord, I'm, I'm submitted to you. I want to do your will. If this impression is from you, I pray that you'll make it stronger if this is from the enemy, I resist it, and I will not follow the enemy. And that's the way that you test it. And I, I, and I believe you'll find that if you take a stand like that, if that's the enemy's leading, you'll find that impression just leaving. Because the Bible says, if you resist the devil and you're submitted to God, he must flee from you. When God speaks, just one sec, when God speaks, he speaks gently yet persistently. See, the voice of the shepherd is a gentle voice. It's persistent and firm, but it's a gentle voice. The voice of Satan is a pushy voice. You better go do that. Hurry up. You're going to miss it. Come on, go on, go on, go on. It's that kind of urgency that disturbs the peace of God within us. When God speaks, he says, I want you to go and do this. You know, I want you to go pray for this person over there. That's how the Lord speaks to us. Maybe he'll repeat it. Again and again, but it's a persistent, quiet, gentle voice, and it will not disturb the peace of God in your heart. Yes, okay. Right, okay. The procedure that I follow, just uh, to repeat here, the procedure that I follow is when an impression comes, I, I, I say, okay, now, Lord, I'm submitted to you, and if this impression is from you, I pray that you'll make it stronger or that it will persist. You know, The Lord doesn't mind you testing because he says in the word that we're to test the spirits. But if this is from Satan, I rebuke it in the name of Jesus and I will have nothing to do with it. And one of two things will happen. Either the voice will continue, and in that case it's God's voice, 
or it will just quit. And there have been times when I have been agitated by, I feel a direction, but it's an agitating kind of thing. And I've prayed that, and it ceased immediately. Yes? That's, that's, that's a third possibility. That's a third possibility. And that's why we need to be fulfilling the conditions of, of letting the Word of God daily work in our lives, and I need to be in, a, in an attitude of obedience. Yeah, that's true. That, that, the third possibility is it's just a desire of yours. And, and again, see, I'm, we're, we're talking in somewhat of um, intangible things because it, we were learning something by experience to hear the voice of the Lord. Yeah, I'll, there's a couple other principles I think that will help that, though. All right. Any other questions or comments? Yes. Okay. I will, I will address that in just a moment, how to deal with it if it's your own voice. Okay? You had a question? Yeah, I've had a comment. That's an interesting perception, sure. Yes. Yes. Good, good. Yes. Well, that's a whole realm we could talk about, but we better not. Yes, one more question or comment. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes. Now, see, there's a difference between urgency of the Lord or urgency of the enemy. And if it's a biblical thing that I'm to do, like go and ask forgiveness. I mean, that sounds like God to me. You know, the devil is opposed to the proud, so he'd say, hey, forget it, you know, hide it. But, what, but see, that's a principle of God is, uh, is to walk in humility. And that would, see, that has the, the earmarks of, boy, that's God's voice. That's his way is to walk in, for us to walk in humility. So that's why, see, it's important for us to know the word and, and as we get to know the principles of God, then we, we begin to recognize, well, sure, that sounds like God because, because we understand his character and his ways. And then in contrast, we understand Satan's ways. You know, go ahead and tell a lie or it's okay for you to cheat on your taxes this year. I mean, that, that, that you know right away that stuff's garbage because it violates the integrity of the word of God. Well, let's, let's, let's continue here. So we need to test the spirits. That's principle number four, number three. Now, number four, this is just a statement I want to give you. The bigger the decision, the bigger the decision that you're going to make, the more confirmation that is needed. Okay, the bigger decision that you're going to be making, the more confirmation that you need to have. See, it's one thing to hear, hear, hear guidance to go and pray for someone. 
But it, it's a whole different ballgame to get guidance about marrying someone. Those are, you know, those are realms apart. And I need to really have a lot of confirmation. And sometimes, see, the Lord will begin to put seeds in our, in our, in our life. And I believe that God puts his call on us. I've heard of people give testimonies and they say, you know, when I was 13 years old, I was in a missionary meeting and the Holy Spirit called me to be a missionary. And here they're 26 years old and it's now just starting to unfold in their lives. And see, there's, there's, a, there's a principle of timing when God is going to do something. And I need to be sensitive to his timing. And so the more major the decision the more confirmations you need to have from the people that you're walking with in fellowship. Spiritual leadership is a, is a tremendous check and balance because they know us and they can help us stay on the right track. And uh, there's a, bunch, you know, a lot of other things that would confirm whether we're walking in, in the right direction. That's why we need to start with the little things, gain confidence there, and then more exciting things and bigger things can with confidence be taken on. The fifth thing, and this is the thing that I think will, will help to deal with the voice of the flesh, and that is that I need to cultivate the discipline of daily waiting on God. I need to cultivate the discipline of daily waiting on God. Cultivate the discipline of daily waiting on God. Richard Foster, in his excellent book, The Celebration of Discipline, he says this, in contemporary society, our adversary majors in three things, noise, hurry, and crowds. If he can keep us engaged in muchness and manyness, he will be satisfied. Psychiatrist G.C. Young once remarked, hurry is not of the devil, it is the devil. That's a real true statement there. I need to cultivate a, the discipline of waiting quietly before the Lord. In Psalms 8, verses 30, or excuse me, Proverbs 8, verses 34 and 35, these two verses give, a, give us a great model for a, an altar time or a quiet time where we daily spend time just waiting before the Lord. Proverbs chapter 8, verses 34 and 35. This is wisdom, and we know from the New Testament that Jesus is wisdom. And it says, Blessed is the man who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting at my doorposts, for he who finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. See, there's the, the, the analogy that Jesus gives us of the prayer closet. We all need to have a place of solitude where I can get away from, from all of the noise that's in our world, and I need to just get quiet where I'm listening to Jesus. And that's why, you know, you've, you've, you've been harped on daily devotions a lot, I'm sure. But it's so strategic in us growing in, in being a person led of the Spirit. In my daily devotions, I need to have uh, the element of prayer. I need to have the element of confession of sin for you know, where I failed. I need to have praise and worship. I need to have some exposure to the Word of God. And I also believe we need to have listening. And that, this is what the, the part I'm concentrating on, what I say uh, in terms of waiting on the Lord. Just getting quiet before the Lord and listening to anything that, that the Lord would want to direct us to. I believe um, Scripture gives a beautiful model of this in Luke chapter 10 through 42. And, and I like this story because it's such a precious, intimate picture of the kind of relationship we can have with Jesus. Luke 10:38 says, Now as they were traveling along, 
he entered a certain village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. And she had a sister, Mary, who moreover was listening to the Lord's word seated at his feet. Isn't that a precious picture? Here's Mary sitting there, just listening to Jesus, sitting at his feet, looking into his eyes and saying, Lord, tell me more. And he's just chatting with her in this beautiful setting. But Martha, verse 40, was distracted with all her preparations. And she came up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Now, was, was, was Martha walking in the peace of God? No, see, she's distracted by doing a good thing, fixing the meal. But see, she's all agitated and irritated that Mary's not helping me. And so she says, Lord, tell her to help me. And the Lord answered and said to her, and I kind of see Jesus kind of patting her on the head, and he says, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things, but only a few things are necessary, really only one, and Mary has chosen the good part which shall not be taken away from her. And Jesus is not saying that, that you know, Mary shouldn't help with the preparations, but he's saying that Mary has chosen that which is of highest priority, and that's to sit at the feet of Jesus. And I believe that's what we do when we wait on God. We need to find a place that's free from noise, interruptions, and distractions. And if you're living in a dormitory, that's tough to find a place like that. You may have to get up real early and go to a lounge somewhere. But you need to have a place that's quiet, that you're not going to be interrupted. Find a place that's comfortable, maybe not too comfortable, because you'll fall asleep if you're too comfortable. But you need to be comfortable, where you can just rest quietly. And then the, the, another aspect of this is that I need to deal with my thought life. When I sit down to wait on the Lord, it, this, this used to really be a problem for me, is that I'd start thinking about everything else. You know, I'd start thinking about going and having a Big Mac. Or I'd, you know, I'd think about uh, the lawn that needs to be mowed. Or I'd think about, oh, I've got to change my oil in my car. I mean, just all this, this intrusion of thoughts when I'm trying to just to focus in on the Lord. And I found that a couple of things that, that really helped me to learn to discipline my thought life was this, is I would focus on worship and, and by meditating on a verse that helped me to kind of keep my attention on the Lord. And another thing that I found to be helpful is I keep a little notebook with me when I have my meditation times. And if I remember, oh yeah, the oil needs to be changed, then I write it down in my notebook and I say, well, I'll do that later. I mean, I remember all kinds of things. Oh, I forgot to call so-and-so about this. Or, oh yeah, you need to write this letter. Or this is due. I mean, all kinds of things I remember. So what I do is I just write it down in my little notebook and then I go back to waiting on the Lord. So otherwise, I'd get distracted and want to go out and change the oil, and I'd miss that time see, of sitting at the feet of Jesus. It took me a long time, you guys, to get my thought life to a place where I could wait quietly and, and, and not have to just battle, keeping my thoughts on the Lord. It, and, and we live in, in such a culture that is, is opposed to anything having to do with contemplation. We live in such a busy culture uh, for some of us, to begin to get our minds under control is going to be a tremendous task. So some of you are going to have a big task ahead of you to learn to be more quiet before the Lord, just to be able to come before Him and worship Him and, and just to, as it were, commune with Him in, in the Holy Spirit. 
My thoughts, if they do wander away, I just bring them back. If I start thinking about Big Macs, I think, well, I'll get that later, but just come back to Jesus. You know, I don't, 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 I don't condemn myself, but I just bring them back to Jesus and say, now, Lord, I, I just want to sit here, and if you have anything you want me to say, then I'm, I'm here to listen. And as, as I've developed this discipline now over 16 years of my Christian life, as I wait on the Lord, many times I get instructions for the day. The Lord will speak to me, and I'll, like, it's like I pray through my schedule. I know I'll be meeting this person, I've got this meeting, and I'll be doing this and that. And, and it's like the Lord many times now will say, now you need to remind this person of this, or why don't you talk to this guy about that? And it's amazing, the Lord just gives me little insights. Or, or I mean, he can speak anything he wants to, you know, but, but I, I'm in that place, see, where I can hear what he has to say. One of the side benefits of this is that as I've learned to, to, to try to lead a more tranquil in life on the inside, is that as I go through my day, I'm more sensitive to hear the voice of God. You know, I'm in the midst of a busy day, and the Lord can speak to me and say, Dick, talk to this person, and say, I'm not so overly concerned with my, you know, with my day and just with everything that's going on. I can, I can, it's like I have my, my receiver tuned on to hear the voice of God. Now, again, that's a discipline that has to be built into our lives. And so don't look at this thing just in the short term. But this is, this is a long-term goal that you're wanting to work on in your life. It, it takes maturity to come to the place where you have you know, real tranquility in your heart. It's taken me many years to get there. But this is a long-term goal that I think is really worthy to be, to be shot at. And... I believe this helps us to deal with the flesh because as I'm in that quietness before the Lord, see, then the Lord can reveal my own heart to me. And if I have certain desires that may be out of line with what he wants, see, then he can begin to show that to me. And, and, you know, you know, and, and it's through that refining process that my desires then maybe more begin to take a back seat and, and I can more and more focus on being a kingdom man or woman who really desires to do the will of God. That's not, in, that's not a pat answer, I realize. It's a procedure, it's a discipline, but I found that it has, it has yielded so many benefits for me in my Christian life. The discipline of waiting before the Lord and just waiting quietly. And I've, I, I have good times of waiting before the Lord now. And I find it's much easier to, for me to come into worship. Like, you know, we come together and we start wor- worshiping. I can track right into what the Holy Spirit's doing much easier now than I could before. Sometimes it would take me five or six songs just to kind of get into worship. You find that sometimes? You come, you know, and you've got tests and finals and this and that on your mind. And, you, you know, it takes you a while through the worship to kind of start really focusing and communing with the Lord. And I think as we grow in our discipline, we'll find it easier to track into what, what God is doing at any, at any given time. Now, I'd like to close by, this afternoon by giving you some examples from, from my own life. Once again, these are over a number of years. These all didn't happen in the same week. And these are the kinds of things I, I think that we can all trust God for and, and believe, believe God for. I was just, uh, this, I was just two or three old, years old in the Lord, and I, I pray about everything. You know, when things happen in my life, I like to pray about everything. And I pray about such mundane things as, as you know, what, buying a car and those kinds of things. Because I just, I want to be submitted to the Lord, you know. And, and, and because I want to know Him better. You know, I'm not sure God really cares what kind of car you drive. 
and, and, and you know but he wants us to know him better. So I uh, had a, an old Volkswagen and, and, it, and it fell apart and, and this was irreparable. So I didn't have a car. So I said, I was just praying. I said, Lord, what should I do? I really don't have the money to go buy a car. And at that point, I was in ministry and really didn't have a steady job. So I probably couldn't get a bank loan to get a car. So I said, Lord, what, what do I do? And the Lord very clearly said, wait. Just said, wait. So I said, okay. So I spent uh, a couple of months just, you know, getting rides from friends and, and walking, which you can do in Bozeman. It's a small enough place where you can walk most every place you need to go. And, and during that time, the Lord began to, to I, I, as I was waiting before him, the Lord says, just begin to tell me, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a car. I thought, wow, God's going to give me a car. You know, how about, that's exciting, you know. And, and I didn't share it with anybody. I didn't, I didn't start blabbing to everybody that, hey, God's going to give me a car. It was just, okay, Lord, if, if this is of you, you'll, you'll, you'll bring it about. That uh, same year, I'd become good friends with uh, another family. And he had had an accident where he, his, his hand got stuck in an insulation shredder. And it, it had really damaged his arm. And, you know, these, these tines had punctured his arm in three places. And it, it had really, really messed up his arm. And uh, the surgeons were able to repair everything fairly well so that he, he still he uses his arm pretty well now. And there's not much pain left associated with it. But he got a settlement, uh, a sizable settlement. And... And another thing that, uh, another example of hearing God's voice, the year before, they had, uh, uh, their family had been growing and they needed another car. And so they began to pray and say, Lord, what, we, we have need of a great, a bigger car, what should we do? And, and, uh, they, this man found a car in Bozeman that was on sale. And he he's of the philosophy never to go in debt, which isn't a bad philosophy, but he just didn't ever want to go into debt. And the Lord spoke to him as he sought the Lord and said, buy the car, get a loan, and within a year it will be paid off. And he went, okay, Lord. So he, he, he tested it. Both him and his wife felt it was the Lord. They did it. Well, it was right after that this, this accident happened, and his arm got all chewed up. And then within the next year, he got a workman's compensation settlement. And the money he got was more than enough to pay off the car. And so, see, the Lord fulfilled his word. The car was paid off before the end of the year. So they had about 3000 no, actually, it's $2,800 left. And if you had $28 sitting around, I'm sure you could think of a way to spend it, couldn't you? Well, they were the same way. They were a family, and they, they had things they could spend it on. But they said, now, Lord, what do you want us to do with this money? Here we've got $2,800 left. And as they sought the Lord, the Lord spoke to them and said, buy Dick Schroeder a car. I mean, <laughs> it's incredible, you know. I didn't know anything about this. And so, the, so he said, okay, Lord, we'll do it. See, he, was, he had the heart that said, Lord, we'll do it. You know, he didn't question it, didn't complain, but he said, okay, Lord, we'll do it. So he went downtown and he went and visited car places and, and, and found a, a car that he felt would be, uh, would be um, appropriate. And he prayed about it and, and he felt the Lord said, this is the right one. And so he bought it. In fact, what, what, it, what had happened is, is the, car was, uh, the car was like $3,000. He had $2,800. And he said uh, to the guy, he says, well, here, I'll give you $2,800. And on Monday, I'll bring you the other $200. And he didn't have it, but the Lord said, go ahead. And so he called me up, and uh, he's kind of a serious guy anyway. And he says, Dick, I need to see you. And, and I was doing some things that day. And I said, well, next week be all right? And he said, no, I need to see you today. And I thought, oh, no, what's happened, you know? So he comes over to my apartment, and, and he, he stands at the door, and he says, come out here. And I thought, man, what is going on? This guy is just so serious, you know. 
I walk out in the parking lot and he hands me the, the keys to a, a American Motors station wagon. And he said, uh, this is from the Lord for you. And oh, we just rejoiced together. And then, man, you know, it was, what, a, what a tremendous thing for God to say, I'm going to give you a car. And then without telling anybody else, God miraculously did that. Hallelujah. And then, and this is not the end of the story, just that week, someone had given the church $200 and they had, they had earmarked it for a car for Dick Schroeder. And then Dale told me this story about how he had put the $2,800 down. He says, somehow God's going to give me $200 more before Monday. And I, I said, here it is, brother. And I told him the story. And we, we just rejoiced together because God had proven himself to be faithful. Now see, long after the car is gone, what's left in my heart is the confidence that I can hear God and when he speaks, I can trust him, see? And now I see I can trust him for bigger things because I've seen him in action. Now, you know, every time I, and I, you know, the next time I needed a car, I, I didn't, the Lord didn't say, I'm going to give you one. In fact, we, um, I, we, we needed another car. This one that we drove, that when the guy bought us, lasted us for 135,000 miles and just wore out. And I was in my quiet time, and we needed a car. And so again, I was saying, the Lord, what, what do you want me to do? I, you, know, you know that we need a car. And I was having my quiet time in the morning, and the Lord very clearly spoke to me and said, go out to the Toyota shop. And I said, well, Lord, I don't need a Toyota. I was actually really looking for a Subaru station wagon. But the Lord said, go out. So I said, okay, Lord. I went out there, and I asked the guy, and I was thinking, you know, in my mind, well, you know, a, a Toyota station wagon. And so he only showed me some new ones, and they were just way too expensive for us to afford. And then, and then and he said, well, I'm sorry, you know, we don't, we, uh, I just don't think I can afford a new one. I, and I, and I, as I was leaving, I said, well, do you have any Subarus? The guy says, oh, yeah, we got three of them here. And, well, as it turns out, this was, uh, we ended up buying one of those at a, at a, at a really good price. And, and I really sense, see, the Lord's leading was in that. And see, God cares about those kinds of, of details on our on our life. And it's the, it's in these little ways, you know, that God can confirm things to us. I was um just this this happened just this year. I was I I had I just I did get a Toyota this year. And I during the summertime I have a a painting contracting business and I paint houses to supplement our summer income. And since I had a new car, I needed a rack to carry ladders and stuff. And so in just before Christmas, I went into a ski shop to look for a rack, and I found one, but they were like they wanted $130. And I thought, man, this is too much money for a rack. And so I just left it and thought, well, I'll have to build something in the spring or something. And I was driving up to campus one day. In fact, I was on my way to my core group. I was just, I mean, it was just, I had 10 minutes to get there. And as I drove by the ski shop, the, the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, go in there. And, and I argued with the Lord. I said, oh, Lord, I, I don't want to miss my core group and be late. And the Lord said, go in there. You know, that, the urgency. He said, do it. You know, Dick, don't argue with me. So I, I said, all right. So I pulled off in the parking lot, went downstairs, and I, I asked the guy about ski racks. And he says, oh, yeah, the ski racks were all on sale today, you know. So I ended up picking up a, ski, uh, a ladder rack. This one I needed for about 50 bucks, you know. And again, you know, the point isn't that, you know, I saved some money on a ski rack. The point is, is I'm learning to be led by the Holy Spirit. And God cares about those kinds of things. I was praying for a young man last, last this was last fall. And he has had some drug-related problems and God was working in his life. And, and we, were, we were ministering to him and had spent uh, close to an hour praying for him. And we'd had a good prayer time. And just as, as we were finishing that prayer time, we were all just waiting on the Lord. And, and, and the Lord just 
very clearly spoke to me uh, a verse, and I was I was to be in Seattle uh, in uh, later that fall teaching at a discipleship training school, and the Lord spoke to me a verse, and He told me what to do. The Lord, the verse was from Hebrews. Uh, chapter 1, where it says that, that the word was not mixed with faith in those who heard. Actually, it's Hebrews chapter 2. And the Lord just in an instant showed me that I was to start my teaching with that scripture and that I was to go around and lay hands on every person asking for God to give them faith to mix with the teaching that they would receive that week. Now, that, see, that's risky. I'd never done that before. And I'd never seen a teacher come in and do that. And so, see, I had to fight with that thing of, well, no, am I going to fear man or am I going to do what God told me to do? Well, I, I, I reconciled, Lord, even if I look like a fool, I'm going to do it. So I committed myself to doing that the very first, the, the, you know, the very first time I spoke to them. I, I shared the scripture and, and I did. I went around and prayed for everyone and laid hands on them. And during that week, we saw God move in such a powerful way. In fact, we ended up, we prayed for all of the 20 students that were attending this school. And we started at 630 in the evening and we quit about 1.30 at night and continued the next morning for about four more hours as the Lord just deeply dealt with every person in that school, just revealing things and healing and cleansing. And it was a powerful event that happened in the Lord. And see, I was willing to obey. See, that was something brand new. I'd never thought of doing that, but I was willing to do what God spoke to me to do. All of us, are, are, I know, are catching the vision for discipleship. And as, as we're discipling people, we need to say, now, Lord, who do I spend time with? Who should I invest my life in? Because sometimes the Lord will give you people that you wouldn't necessarily naturally spend time with. Isn't that true? See, the Lord may say, disciple this person. You think, well, I, I don't really relate with them all that well. But God says, it's my divine appointment for your life. There was a young man who came to campus uh, about five, six years ago. And the day I met him, the Lord spoke to me right as I met him. And he said, Dick, Spend time with this young man. So I knew that the Lord had brought this man for a certain purpose, and for I was to give particular care and attention to this young man. And the this this young man was, was had come from a very shattered background. He was um, desperately in need of love and acceptance. And when he found that that I was wanting to give him that, um, he. He, he just uh, became kind of like a pest, you know. He'd come over at like 11, 12 at night, knock on the door. And, uh, and he was just young and immature. I'm not, he's a, uh, he's a dear man, but he just was hurt and he just didn't have some of the social sensitivity that, that most of us have. But the Lord had spoken to me to not reject him. It was very important that I not reject this young man. And that went on for a whole year and I, I really had to go the second mile. But I knew it was what the Lord wanted. And he left our ministry after a year and went to another place. And I got a letter back from him uh, later, later that next year. And, and he told me, he says, you know, I've really grown and matured in the Lord. And he said, one thing I learned from, from being, being at, at the ministry there was the unconditional love of God. And he told me, he says, you know, I realized that, that I was probably um, really a bother to you coming, off and coming at the odd times that I did. But he said, you know, I want you to know that because I had been rejected so much in my life from my family and stuff, that God did a major healing because you never rejected me. You always loved me and you always cared for me. You always had time for me. And he said, I, I, that, was, that was an illustration of how much God cares for me. You see, the Lord knew that. And see, my natural tendency would have probably have been to kind of put this guy off 
and, and see, reject him like everybody else had. But the Lord knew, and he said, Dick, this is a special assignment for you. And we need to be sensitive to that. Probably the clearest instance in my life of, of hearing the voice of the Lord and, 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 and watching God prepare me for a situation that I, I just had no idea was coming uh, occurred just about, about three years ago. I was at a um, one of our district meetings, and I don't really remember. I can't pinpoint during the week when this happened, but I was I had heard about a statistic that that went like this. The, t- the statistic was that when debil- debilitating accidents happen to people, uh, about eighty percent of marriages fall apart. You know, like when there's a critical injury, a handicap, a, you know, someone becomes a para or a quadriplegic. And I, w- I was thinking about that, and I was just thinking how inconsistent that is with the love of Christ. And as I was just having this thought process, the Lord spoke to me, and he said, Dick, he said, what would you do if that happened to your wife? And I, and I didn't interpret that as an omen, like, oh, no, something bad's going to happen. It was just one of those little conversations that, that we can have with the Lord at any time. And I thought, well, you know, it would obviously change the way that you live. But in terms of um, my commitment and love for my wife, it, it wouldn't change that at all because that, that wouldn't be like your love. And the Lord said, good. And that was, that was the end of the conversation. And uh, it was just a few days after that, just it was on a Saturday that I, I got a phone call. I was at home and I had been watching our children while my wife was out shopping. And one of our friends called me and said, Dick, your wife's been in a car accident. And although at that moment I had no idea what had happened, the, the Lord brought that conversation back to me. And I just knew that, that, that my wife was critically injured. And I, I, I just knew that it was one of these really difficult situations. And it's like, like, the, it's like the Lord reached down his hand and he said, I'm going to take you through this. And I, I just really sensed the grace of God just even right then, before I really knew what had happened, he just took me in his hand and uh, as, as it turns out, my, wa- my wife was critically injured. And she's now in a wheelchair. She's, she's paralyzed from here down. And it's, you know, it's been a big life change for us. We, there's things that are a lot different than they were before the accident. But God's grace has taken both of us through that trial and that ordeal in such a tremendous way. And uh, if, if you talk to my wife, she's not resentful towards God. She loves Jesus, just like we always have, and I love Jesus. And we're, we're just, we just are accepting that this somehow is just part of the race that we have to run, and that God somehow is going to be glorified through it. And I'm not going to you know, quit the race. I'm not going to resent the race, but I'm going, to, I'm going to do what the Lord has called us to do, and so is my wife. And that, 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 that moment when the, I was sent, when, when the Lord spoke that to me, it, it, it I, I suppose you can appreciate the kind of trauma one goes through with, with, you know, with something like this. But it's like every step of the way, I could take a long time to talk about all the wonderful things God did, but every step of the way, the grace of God was there. In fact, the very first night that um, my wife was flown to Billings because they didn't have capabilities of caring for her in Bozeman, Todd, uh, my associate, him and Kath flew down to be with me, which was a... It was a wonderful expression of love. And in the waiting room, it was about 2 in the morning before we, we, my wife finally got settled in the ICU unit, and uh, we both agreed it was probably better for me to go get some sleep, and it was really good to have Todd and Kathy there. 
And no more had I laid down that I, I fell asleep and slept, you know, till seven or eight in the morning. And Todd and Kathy, they, they kind of stood up. They were up all night just, you know, really worried and anxious and concerned, you know. But the, the, the peace of God was so, was so wonderful that I, I just fell asleep. And as different decisions had to be made and uh, we, had, we had to really rechart our future, it's like at each one of those moments, God was there and he helped us to make the right decisions. And uh, all of the all of the things that have all of the changes that have resulted, God has has taken care of. And well, I can just tell you guys with confidence that there's nothing that you'll ever face that the grace of God isn't big enough. You know, and I knew that. I mean, I knew that before the accident, but I know it now in a whole deeper way than I ever knew it before. There's just nothing that the enemy or life can ever throw at you that can ever keep you from the love of God that can ever keep you from being the person that Jesus wants you to be. And I know, so you know, God doesn't warn us every time, but if it's in his plan, I want to be able to hear what he wants to say to me. Let me give you one more story, and we'll quit. I was visiting one of my students who lives in eastern Montana, and she had, invite, had invited us to come down for a visit. And uh, she lives on a ranch, my, my wife, loved to ride horses, and so she had invited her to go on a cattle drive. And I was thinking, ah, oh, this is great. I'm going to have a day off where they're going to be out riding. I'm going to get to read all day, you know, something I don't get to do very much of. And we got there, and I brought my satchel of books, and I was really looking forward just to a quiet day with the Lord. And as, as we were just sitting down in the evening talking about plans the next day, the Lord started speaking to me. And the Lord, Lord said, Dick, you better not sit around here and just read all day. I said, okay, well, okay, Lord, what, what do you want me to do? And, and the Lord just said, you better look around for something to do. And I, I thought, well, you know, I thought, boy, this is really weird, you know. But, but you know, I trust what the Lord was doing. So I said, okay. And, and I, uh, the, these folks had just built a new house, and there was painting that needed to be done. And so I just really believed that I was to offer my services in painting. I said, well, you guys are going to be out riding all day. Why don't you let me do the trim around your house? And, of course, the guy said, oh, no, you don't need to do that. And I said, no, I would really like to do that. So he agreed. And while they worked all day, I, I painted all day, which was fine. And that was the end of it. We had a good stay, and then we left. And so I, I really never knew, why, Lord, why did you do that? Well, her, uh, this young lady who, who was, uh, was part of our fellowship, she later told me, she said, you know, my dad's a self-made rancher, and he, he's, he's been a successful man, and he's never had much use for preachers because he thinks preachers are lazy and they're just, you know, parasites on society. And this, uh, now you know, I, God knew what I didn't, right? And, you know, that she told me, she said, you know, that that made a very strong impression on my dad that she, he says he knows you're a preacher, and the fact that you were willing to paint his house really spoke to him. I see, God knew that. And I didn't, but I obeyed God, and I'm glad I did, because God knows more than I do. And he knows how that we can, through being led by him, how we can glorify his name. So that's a little bit of the journey that I've been on for 16 years. And I hope the next 16, I know the next 16 years are going to be even greater. And the next, boy, you see, you guys, you have the best years of your life ahead and if, and if you'll allow the Lord to get rid of the sins and these weights that Rick Howard's been talking to us about, see, if you can get rid of this baggage and, and, and just, just streamline your life down where you just want to follow Jesus and do his will, this is the privilege that God gives to those who will hear and who will obey.
That's the privilege is you get to be used in these little expeditions that God wants to send us on. And that's the kind of stuff that is, is going to be fruit that will be with us throughout, throughout all eternity. That's the stuff that, that, that's going to be rewarded on the judgment seat, on the, the day of the judgment seat of Christ. And it's worth going for. So I pray that these, these, uh, these messages have, have challenged you, have stimulated you, and, and if you'll put them into practice long after you've heard them, then you're going to become more effective in hearing God's voice. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Dick Schroeder Podcast. For more teaching and discipleship resources from Dick, visit fatherheartministries.net.